it's time to swing into the golf world of today with Springdale Golf Live, sponsored by TaylorMade and the New Jersey Golf Foundation. Now, here's your host, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Members, friends, and players, welcome to Springdale Golf Live. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, the director of fun, and I'll be here entertaining you on this Friday afternoon. Thank you for tuning into ESPN 920. Well, we've waited seven months for this moment to get here. And though we are familiar with this wonderful tradition, a Masters in November does feel a little like a stranger. I can see clear through. Your eyes tell more than you mean them to. Lit up and flashing like the reds and blues. Out there on the neon avenue. But I feel like a stranger. Yes, the Masters is a special time, and it doesn't matter what week of the year it gets here. For this unique November tournament, I thought we would talk to a special storyteller, an industry insider who has an amazing perspective. After all, it's a major championship week, and for that, we need a major influencer in the golf industry. His name is Luke Reese. He's on the line with us. Luke, welcome to Springdale Golf Live. How excited are you today? Uh, Keith, I was thrilled. I, I live in Boulder, Colorado. So um, I got up early this morning, especially made my coffee, and then turned on the uh, the Masters. And of course, they're in a rain delay. Uh, so I was, uh, <laughs> I, I it was almost like Christmas morning had to stop for a little bit. But uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. I think they're going back out to play in about five minutes, and uh, I can't wait to watch a whole bunch of this. So I'm, I'm going to try to do a self-imposed four-day quarantine where I could just sit and watch TV. Well, there's no doubt about that. They're going to have their challenges with the weather. But over the years, you know, it, it is Masters Week. So let's start there, right? Um, what makes yep. Masters Week so special to you? Do you have a great story or something you could share with my listeners as we get going? You know, I, I, I do actually, I, I don't have a great story. Um, but I would say watching Ben Crenshaw, I was sitting with my golf mentor, who I wrote the book about, uh, and we watched Crenshaw win and after Harvey Pennick had passed away. And I think that was probably one of the most emotional masters. You just sort of felt like, okay, there's something really, really special about the masters, about the way Crenshaw played that week, uh, the way he putted. Um, I think that would probably be, you know, watching that and seeing that. And I think, you know, I had just sort of finished reading the little red book. I was just get taking on golf. And I was like, man, this, this sport has more history and tradition and vibe than any other sport I've ever been associated with. So, I think that was probably my, my big moment. That's a very cool one. And, and during your answer there, you kind of subtly slipped in there the fact that one of the reasons that we have you on here today is that you're an author, and recently you wrote this book, One for the Memory Banks. So uh, you wrote a book, right? How did, you know, like I, I always think about this, you know, because you are an industry executive in golf, and now you've taken on this challenge of writing a book. How did that all come about? What was the genesis of this? Oh, well, Keith, it's sort of funny. Um, I, you know, and I'll get into what the book's all about later on, but essentially uh, somewhere, you know, 20 plus years ago, we would sit around and, you know, you know, when you play golf in the UK, the post round banter is almost more important than anything else. So people are sitting around and they start debating and they start discussing things. And I would sit down and just write down details of whatever everybody said or what they did. And I would just laugh. I was just sort of almost like taking notes like a fly on the wall because the, the Brits have an ability. They're articulate. They're sort of, they've, they've got this ability to sort of have words come out at a pace that's shocking to us. 
and in perfectly formed sentences. Um, and so I would sit down probably starting in, in the late 90s and just write down who played where, what, who won, what matches happened, what funny things were said or something like that. And I just kept these. And I had a big, big, big stack of every round I basically played with a bunch of people. And somewhere um, in the early O's, I sort of turned them into like many, many little stories, but they weren't much more than that. And then, um, you know, as, as you know now, because you've read the book, uh, something pretty dramatic happened in 2019. I thought, I need to actually get this down into a book form in a tribute to Bondi, who's the guy who taught me how to play golf. Uh, his name was Alan Bond. His nickname was Bondi. He was a combination of, you know, essentially a, some, some form of Sean Connery and Arnold Palmer. He, this guy just had it. Um, everybody wanted to be around him. Everybody liked this guy. He was the funniest person in the room. And uh, I just thought, okay, you know what? Somewhere there's a whole bunch of stories that turn into a book. And I never thought I'd actually get it done because I'm pretty busy. And then COVID hit. And on March 13th, I got put in a room in the city of Chicago by myself with a computer and a sort of a limitless, limitless supply of coffee. And I just sat down and just pounded it out. And then um, in one of the greatest ironies of life, uh, my daughter was also had just left her job and was about to go back and start her business school. And she was an English major uh, right down the road from you, Keith, you know her. Yeah. Um, and she uh, basically uh, said, I'll be your editor. And the two of us worked on it together and then submitted it to uh, a publisher. And he said, I love this book and I want to do it. I mean, that's almost like taking the like father daughter, like round of golf or golf adventure to the next level, because, you know, one of the questions I had and folks, what we're talking about here is this book. It's called one for the memory banks. And it's written by our guest today. His name is Luke Reese. And Luke, the question I, I really had was, you know, you took these stories from over a decade plus of, uh, experiences that you had and you put it into this book and so you have this stream of consciousness as COVID happens and you start to write it down and the book is about it, it it's great how you tell these stories and how they intertwine from one to the next and it's it surrounds around this gentleman Alan Bond who you call Bondy right and he's the one that taught you the game what to you when you first met him what was your first impression of Alan Bond well I mean it was slightly positive and, and somewhat negative. Um, I first met Bondi um, in, and I was a young sales rep, you know, working for Wilson Sporting Goods, which was more of a tennis company than a golf company by a fair amount. And I was a college tennis player. So I didn't play golf. I didn't know much about golf. I didn't understand golf. And everybody just kept saying to me, look, you, you need to figure out golf. If you're going to be a sales rep handling, you know, a, a territory like yours, you need to know both tennis and golf. So I thought, well, you know, I can learn that. And my office was down um, near, near the, in the warehouse. It was down the bottom floor. Just to give you an idea of my status in the company. Um, and I was down in the sort of lower sections, no window. And I had a big, long, wide, wide hallway. And I just borrowed some clubs. And on this mat, on this sort of dingy little mat down there, I would just hit wiffle balls and try to hit them 50 yards and try to hit the door at the end of the, end of the hall. And I would do it before I'd go to work every morning and just say, okay, well, I'm going to teach myself how to play golf. Two to three weeks into it, I, maybe two to three months into it, I meet Alan Bond. And I say to Bondi, hey, uh, um, well, you know, you're, and he was a senior guy and everybody knew him. And he was sort of the head of the UK, or at least the head of the UK sales. 
and he was a low handicap Scott. I thought, well, this is a perfect guy to ask a question like, well, uh, can you give me some tips? And uh, he looks at me, and we're in a room full of people, and he pulls the room, and he goes, I've got a tip for you. And I said, oh, great. And he says, see this? And he points to the grip, and he goes, never touch it in front of an account. The moment you do, they'll know you know nothing about golf. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. And, you know, the whole crowd who just comes in, and they're just ripping in laughter. And then, of course, you know, he, he goes, don't address the ball. Don't waggle. Don't do this. Simply hold it as close to the head as possible. Tell them what's good about it. And then use your free hands to write orders. Okay. And I was like, okay. So that was my first introduction to this guy who was almost like supernaturally funny. Um, a week later on my desk, and, and that could have been the end of it. It could have been the last time we really ever talked to each other. A week later, a book shows up for me, and it was Donald Steele's Classic Links of the UK. And with a note from Bondi that said, you've got talent, you can sell, go learn how to hit the golf ball, and I'll take you to some of these courses to teach you where real golf is played. And it was a book about the UK links courses. And I, I, we, two months later, I thought, you know what? I could become, I could figure out how to play golf. Two months later, he and I were playing golf on one of those courses, and I was like, I was completely hooked. Well, you know what? I was completely hooked on the book just as it starts out because, you know, these quick rapid fire chapters come at you one after another. And you're right. And you said this earlier when you mentioned how the storytelling or the camaraderie after the round is is almost more important than the actual round itself. And the way that you describe some of these, I guess moments in time at the dinners afterwards or at the bar afterwards um, really to me is what sells the book and makes it such a, this like a, a really, really engaging read. It, you know, folks, it, it's, it's definitely something you want to pick up. And, and as a PGA professional, I I've read enough golf books. I'd come out and say, I, I've just read enough of them. But when I came when this came across my desk, I said, you know what? Luke tells a great story. Let's just see how this experience kind of unfolds. And that's not probably my next question for you is that what was the experience of writing this book like for you? You know, if you had to go back in time and you go back to the point where you first started to put pen to paper and put this all together, you know, looking back now, what do you think about this whole thing? Well, it, it, it Keith, Keith, first of all, I, I'm, I'm honored uh, that, you, that you liked it so much because I think, you know, I see, I've gotten that response from a lot of people when they say, I started reading it sort of assuming maybe it would be a business book or something like that. And I, 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 I got one page into it and I realized this is a book about you playing golf or essentially about this guy teaching you how to play golf. And it runs, you know, my whole mission here was to do sort of four or five things and then I'll discuss, you know, what, what, what I learned from it, but the whole mission was, you know, Alan Bond or Bondi is probably one of those incredibly special characters. You know, maybe at every fifth club in America, you got a guy like that. He's that kind of person who's just got that preternatural presence and he's just, his, his story needs to be told. We need more people to behave like Bondi on the golf course. He's just one of those funny, funny people who makes the game more fun. Um, and I thought, First and foremost, let's get that story out. Then let's discuss sort of some of the things that we talk about, which is speed of play, playing match play, not being so focused on what your score was and that sort of thing. You know, really, we played match play all over the world, then or all over the, all over the UK. Um, then I thought, okay, 
I'd like this to be a story. I don't want to just tell one successive story. I'd like to be able to tell about 18 or 19 distinct chapters that are pretty short and pretty fast that will have a twist to them, sort of like Mark Twain, but at the same time have an ability to make you say, I cannot wait to go play this golf course. Like, I, I want to go there. I want to go play Makrohanish. I want to go play McCree. I want to go play, you know, uh, North Barrack, or I want to go play something like that. And we wanted, I wanted that essence, and I wanted the distinctiveness of each course to come out. Comically, um, when I wrote it, you realize over half of all, all, all clubhouses are white with a red roof, okay? And so at some point I had to stop writing. You know, the white, the white, the, the low-slung white clubhouse with a red roof, I'm like, ah, I think that's pretty much everyone I've ever described. So a whole bunch of them have that. Um, but when I, when I looked at it, I thought, I want to give that essence. And then the final point for me was also showing the difference because people think about Lynx golf as sort of, it's something. I really wanted to show a difference between Ireland, Scotland, and England. And I wanted a couple chapters in England, a bunch of chapters in Scotland, and a bunch of chapters in Ireland. And I used, um, you know, I, I don't know which one your favorite character is, but I used, you know, Laddie Lucas, who's a famous uh, English amateur and an RAF pilot and sort of a war hero. I used him as my example in England. I used Hammy McAnally, who was just this gruff, hard-charging, absolutely insanely talented uh, golfer who won, you know, three Scottish Ams. And then uh, Joe Carr, probably one of the best amateurs ever to play a game of golf. So I tried to sort of use those three guys in different ways to give a pretty multi-layered book. Um, hopefully that sort of describes it in not too boring a way. No, it's great. And I mean, people will get the essence just from hearing your passion about, you know, the inspiration that you had in order to put all of this together and, you know, come up with 200 plus pages of stories. And, and what I think is so unique about this, and like I said, the reason you're here today is that because the book is good and because I want to hear more of your stories, but I want to hear them live because they, they are so engaging when you pick up the book and you go through it. I mean, you, I, I think I read the book in like three or four days and, and I don't have a lot of free time. So I was like, I was just firing through this thing like 50 pages at a time and it was really good. And what I think was so kind of cool, and I know you, you talk about the different characters and how they represent the different countries, but was so cool to me was this like guy and you mentioned you know you, when you described him earlier when you talk about alan bond he you said he was kind of like sean connery and in a, in a way to me alan bond kind of just represents everything that we think about of overseas golf when it comes to the british islands over there and it, yep. it every time he comes up i'm like oh here we go i go we, we're going to be transformed to this place like teleported to this really <laughs> unique setting and it's just really cool and like you are kind of like this super high energy like um passenger that's going through with this tour guide and it's just it's just like really cool and and you know, we're going to get into this more in a second, but I, I just think that, you know, folks that are into good golf stories, these are traditional places that are hundreds of years old. And when you pick up the book, it's told in such a modern fashion. I, I think that it's very appropriate for an under 40 crowd, but also for, you know, my parents and, you know, the baby boomers and everybody else. So I, I think you did a great job. And what I want you to do is I want you to hold on for a couple more minutes. I got to take a quick break for our sponsors. Um, so just hold tight for a second. Yep. Folks, it's around 3.15 p.m. here in New York. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. We'll be back in a moment with more sensational storytelling with Golf's Renaissance executive, Luke Reese. 
The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. We are excited to announce that PGA Hope, helping our patriots everywhere, a rehabilitative golf program for military veterans with disabilities, will take place on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. throughout the fall season at Fiddler's Elbow Country Club. To support the NJGF or learn more about the PGA Hope program for military veterans living with physical and cognitive challenges, visit NewJerseyGolfFoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. Springdale Golf Club is proudly celebrating 125 years of rich history in the heart of Princeton, New Jersey. With our walkable and superbly conditioned William Flynn designed course, Springdale beautifully makes its mark as the best golf and social experience in our region. Combined with Troon Preve, the private club operating division of Troon Golf Management, Springdale is further elevating our commitment to our members. Just last year, our members seasoned their game, teeing off on Troon managed courses in Texas, Arizona, and even as far as Hawaii and the UK. The benefits of being part of the Springdale family extends far beyond the fairways. For more information about our club and all the incredible moments happening at Springdale Golf Club and through Troon Purvey, please take a visit of our website at www.springdalegc.org forward slash Troon Purvey. Let's get back on course as Springdale Golf Live continues. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to Springdale Golf Live. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You know me as the director of fun. You're listening to ESPN 920. It's been an interesting show so far. I'm going to create a special vibe to start the second nine of today's masterpiece. Take it in. We were born before the wind. Also younger than the sun. Yeah, the bonnie boat was one as we sail into the mystic. You know, every time I play an early round or I think about these Masters competitors walking out into those hallowed grounds without spectators, you know, as most rounds go, you know, we just head out into the Mystics. So welcome back to the pro show. Wade, give me a little more of this vibe. I like it. Let your soul and spirit fly into the Mystics. Where that foghorn blows. All right, we're back with our guest, an amazing author and a pioneer of the Garf marketplace, Luke Reese. You know, everyone's been talking about this idea of no patrons at the Masters. You know, how do you think that'll change the tournament this year? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Um, I, I think it'll be, you know, first of all, it's phenomenal to have the patrons there. I think these guys will get so revved up about playing the course. Um, that it's gonna, they're going to have a blast no matter what they do. Um, and I think they're going to enjoy it. I just love watching the Masters. I love watching all four days of it. It's partly because we've seen the, seen the course over and over and over again. Um, I think it'll be strange to see them start on the second nine as well as the first nine uh, today. But uh, let's, you know, let's see what happens. I, I'm, I'm just excited to watch it. And I hope we get a little bit of rain because uh, there are quite a few of them wearing some, some, some shoes rain gear. That was a little plug there. Oh. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So, Well, we will see what happens. And, you know, so much about the Masters is the tradition, the traditions that families have in watching, the traditions of what happens there on those hallowed grounds. And your book is so much about the traditional aspects of the game. But I want to take you outside the book for a second. So let's put that in the rearview mirror. It's done, and it's okay. now it's out there for people to talk about and to kind of digest. But looking forward, as a golf industry trailblazer, right, 
Where do you see the game going? I mean, how does how does something like Bryson or Top Golf, you know, interact with the Allen Bonds of the world? Well, I, I think I think let's just start with one thing: um, people using a stick to hit a ball is a good thing, no matter what. So whether they're doing it at Top Golf and hitting into something, you know, hitting at little circles uh, that are lit up, or whether they're, you know, whether it's Bryson deciding to add, however ungodly amount of pounds of muscle he's added and add whatever swing speed he's added. Um, to me, the game of golf is for the vast, vast majority of us is about, it's difficult enough. It's already a hard game. It's gotten harder. Um, I think, you know, having good equipment, playing well, it's just fun. And I, I think, you know, when I look at the game, I think the more people who want to play it, the more people who realize it's a fun thing to do, it's healthy, it's outdoors. You can be with friends. To me, that's the whole. That's the whole essence of this thing. Um, I really don't care how far the pros hit it. I don't care, you know, whether people came from one angle or another. I care whether people celebrate the fact that they can go out and do a sport together. Not many of us, by the time we're in our fifties and sixties, are playing pickup basketball. Not many of us are playing. You know, we're not playing flag football. We're not playing the sports we played as little kids. We're playing golf, um, and we can play golf until we're quite old. And I think that's just an amazing part of the sport. It, it makes it so much fun. So to me, you know, I think the more people who play it, the more people during COVID who have figured out that this is a great game, the more people that we're going to have fun bringing in. And I really don't care whether they want to be a person who, you know, rides around in a cart and plays music. If that's that person, let them go do that among themselves. And I happen to love playing traditional links courses where it's windy and wet and, you know, the ball rolls naturally. And I like all that stuff. Um, but I think there's space in this game for all of us. It's a big tent. Well, in the mood of fun, you know what? I, I want to do something here. I want to ask you a quick question. Um, wh what if we flipped it over and you said, okay, you're going to write a second book, but this time it's going to be about adventures of golf in the United States. How do you think that book would be different from the one that you just wrote? Well, um, first of all, you know, I, I would have a tough time because Bondi is such an amazing character. I mean, anybody who's read the book, and, we, and I've gotten so many people who've called me back to say, my God, did you make this guy up? And I'm like, no, 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 he's real. Um, and Michael Bamberger, who, you know, sort of the, what, the, the, maybe the dean of American golf writers, um, called the first time and said, is this fiction? And I said, nope, well, this is nonfiction. Um, so I think it would be tough for me to write a story about somebody or about this thing without having Bondi in it because he's just so, he's so effervescent and so wonderful and his lines are so witty and he starts every round sort of basically with like, here's one for the memory banks and then he'll add some little quip that just cracks everybody up and then he goes off and drives and he hits about the same 220 yard slightly taily drive um, every time. Uh, so if I were doing it in America, I'm sure I could come up. There is no question at all that we have the same, you know, we have certainly the same quality golf courses. We've got the same quality stuff. It would, it would have to be with this, a band of people that you'd play with because this book is in essence about playing great places, but it's playing with great people at great places. 
Now, real quick, before we're going to jump into something else, which we do every week here on the show, I just want to give you one last chance. Uh, the book, you can find it. It's one for the memory banks, folks. It's written by Luke Reese, edited by his daughter, Madeline, who I had the fortunate opportunity to meet for four years as she went to Princeton University and is now out helping her dad with this book but it, and also um, educating herself further, getting her MBA, correct? And um, so you get the book on Amazon. You can get it anywhere you want. How can my how can my listeners get to the book? Um, TheMemoryBanks.com is probably the easiest place. That's uh, that's you just go there and order. Uh, it's a great book uh, to share with your foursome. A great book to encourage people to say, "Hey, life is short. Let's go play with fun people. Let's play with each other. Let's go set up some trips." I think it's a great one if you're going to want to ever go over to the UK, uh, Great Britain, Ireland, any of those places. Uh, I think it's something that you know you, you you're going to have a fun time reading. I think it's a wonderful Christmas book, and at least uh, we're, the nice news is we've been lucky enough. Uh, the publisher just called me, and he's gone to a second printing, uh, and he thinks there'll be a third coming up pretty soon. So the book is selling pretty well. It, uh, so it's on Amazon, one for the memory banks, and uh, I'd be honored to have you read it. And I'll give you a discount if you'll let me sign it. Huh, there you go. Well, you know, you bring up a good point there, too. It does inspire people to take golf trips, which are a big part of the game and a big part of the traditions of the game. And you know what? We talked a lot about traditions this week. It is Masters Week. It's a special week. But it was also a special week because Veterans Day happened this week. And, folks, if you're just tuning in, we are talking to a veteran, uh, Luke Reese, who did serve in the U.S. Army in military intelligence. And we're going to test that intelligence right now, Mr. Reese, with a little <laughs> rapid-fire Q&A. Do you like that segue? Uh, Keith? That was wonderfully done. I'll also point out, I was in the 1st Infantry Division, so it's the big red one, so sort of a meathead as well. So go ahead. All right. We'll, we'll see if I can answer quickly. We'll go see ahead. how we do. All right. Here we go. Rapid fire. Favorite Michigan football player of all time? Desmond Howard. Do you prefer sunrises or sunsets? Sunrises. First thing you did to... Love, love, to, love to get up for coffee. Love to get up and coffee and think about the day. Go ahead. Ooh, I like that. It kind of sets the tone. You know, they, you know, they always mention that successful people, of which you are definitely one, um, get up and start their day and get the motor running. So, folks, good advice there across the board. All right. First thing you did to celebrate the Cubs World Series win in 2016. Jumped in a, an Uber, took a two-mile ride straight north from my house, walked on, on about... Seven hours. I got to got to Wrigley Field itself, touched touched the stadium, and then walked four and a half miles home. And it took about five or six hours. And we all sang "Go Cubs Go" until three in the morning. Wow, that that yeah, that the city was wild. That must have been unbelievable. Yes, never thought it would happen in my lifetime. Well, it, not, it, not sure it'll happen again. Okay. Well, you got one. You know, the, yeah. uh, yep. I've seen one New York Rangers Stanley Cup. So I, that may, you, you, and my, you and I might both have that problem of just seeing one. But uh, we'll keep rooting nonetheless. Best book yep. you read in 2020? One for the memory banks. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to do a shameless plug there. Um, I would say uh, I reread, I reread uh, To the Lynx Land by Michael Bamberger, other than my book. Would you rather win an Oscar or a Grammy? Oscar. All right, that begs the question then. If you could be a character in any movie, who would you be? Um, I would love to have gone back in, in, in any movie. Any movie. Um, 
oh boy, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to say Shawshank Redemption because that's just that's just too aggressive. Um, I would say probably some char- some character, maybe uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid or something like that, or uh, possibly uh, maybe in the Sting, Redford and Newman in the Sting. Ooh, the Sting. I, that's a good one too. Great twists. You're bringing up Mark Twain, the Sting, Shawshank Redemption. This is why you're here today. My listeners need to know what a complex individual that you are. All right. Name a course you haven't played that you want to. Um, I'm a little bit lucky. I've played a lot of courses. I have never played um, Morfontaine in Paris uh, by Simpson. And I've uh, never played any of the Allison courses in Japan. I'm dying to play those. Okay, I like that. Japan, most most people wouldn't think of that as the place to go, but all right. If you could caddy for one player in this week's Masters, who would it be? Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to caddy for Rory. <laughs> well, I would, I'm not sure I want that much attention on me. Um, I think caddying for Mark Leishman would be amazing. He's just such a nice guy, and he's funny. Uh, I think he would keep the mood really, really cool, and uh, his short game is insane. All right, when you hear the words trailblazer, who is the first person that comes to mind? Jackie Robinson. Cool. Well, you know what? When I think of golf trailblazers, I think of you, Luke Reese. I can't thank you enough for taking the time today and joining us on Springdale Golf Live. Keith, thank you so much. I truly am honored. Uh, It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Take care. All right, Wade. There we go. An excellent guest. Before we go today, I got to say one important thing. Happy birthday to my daughter, Abby. She's 11 years young. Thanks to my sponsors, TaylorMade Golf, New Jersey Golf Foundation, Summit Golf Brands, we know them as B. Dratty, Fairway Green, Zero Restriction, EP New York, and F.H. Wadsworth. Wade Weezer, thanks for everything on the board. Springdale Gore to Governors, appreciate all your support. True Golf Management for everything you do at Springdale. And most importantly, you know I love my listeners. Well, I'm headed to Springdale, but where are you headed? We'll let the tower be your guide, and from Princeton to Augusta, and of course everywhere online, may you all have a Springdale day. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Return to the tee next Friday at 3 with Keith Stewart and Springdale Golf Live.